0: as we get to the point. Amen. And we are coming to the conclusion of a series through the book of 2 Timothy, and we have called it, It's Getting Real. And I think whenever we look through the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, we can see that his belief, his Christianity, the purpose of his life was getting really real to him. And he was starting to worry about what was coming behind him. So, he writes this passage that we're going to have to Timothy. So, if you've got your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be today. And last week was such a hard-hitting truth on the struggle of the Christian life. That last section in chapter 3 was really talking about what it means as a Christian, one, to be in the world but not of the world, but to struggle with the scriptures themselves It is not fun for us to maybe come to a place in life where we need to be corrected or we need to uh, struggle through some of the harsh words that God has for us, but he means it for our good. And today we're gonna see Paul give Timothy a charge that's saying not just to understand what is in the scripture, but to understand how to apply it to life so that he can go and be ready for ministry, so that we can be ready to minister so 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, Paul is moving from reminding Timothy what is in the Scripture to reminding him what his calling in life, because of the Scriptures, are to be. And he's telling him that he needs to step up. He's telling him that he needs to understand how to put into practice these words that he has read from God. Isn't that the challenge for most of us today? I read somewhere uh, in in some research on the next generation that 92% of people can't hear a concept and know how to apply it to their life. Let me give you an example of that. A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I decided I'm gonna get an early jump on putting Christmas decorations up. And I went uh, with my wife to a store and I thought I'll get one, one strand of lights that's long enough to go all the way across the front of the house so that when I plug it in, it's gonna work, right? Wrong, let me tell you what happened, okay? We spent a lot of time getting these little clips ready. Every single light had to have a clip on it, right, so it could hang up just so we get the lights hung up. I get the ladder out. I think I even hurt my foot in the process of that, so I've already got a bad attitude, right? So I get the lights hung up, and we go to plug the lights in, and right in the middle of it is a big old section of it that doesn't work, okay? So maybe you do what I do whenever you come into a problem like that. You get on YouTube, okay, and you search for a tutorial or whatever. And you find the short one, right? Because the long ones, they're too complicated. We'll just call somebody for that later, right? So I found one that was about two minutes long. Okay, surely this will just take a little bit. Three trips to the store later and a couple weeks, those lights still do not work, okay? Now I'll tell you, there were some, some kind people in the first service who came up to me after church and said, hey, here's what you need to do. So I've got some ideas about how to fix that. But I'm afraid sometimes the gospel is like that. It's a concept that's very simple, and we overcomplicate it to the point where we don't understand how to use it when it's something that is really very simple. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, and if we will humble ourselves and repent of our sin and declare him as Lord, we'll be saved. That is the gospel. It is very simple. Notice there were no really Denominational statements in there. There wasn't a 35 page statement of faith. It was very short. It was very simple. The Apostle Paul gives us that definition of the gospel. It is very short. It is very simple. And the charge that Paul is giving Timothy is to step up and focus on what God has called him to focus on, which is the gospel. He calls him to step up. Christians, we have to step up for our mission, we have to step up for our families. We have to step up for brothers and sisters in the church. We have to stand up for the kingdom of God. Verses 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul's words here are like a seasoned veteran who has seen war and is no stranger to it, and he's preparing a young guy who's going out to the battlefield. When he says, I charge you, in the Greek word, in the the Greek that's a little bit confusing for us to, to understand here because it translates to a word where he's charging someone of a crime. He's saying, I charge you in the presence of God. This is a serious charge that Paul is giving to Timothy to step up He's telling him that he needs to come through and understand that the times and seasons that he is in and that he is preaching and leading a group of people in are very serious. Why does he use this kind of language? Because Paul knows that his time is coming to an end. There is some kind of clarity that comes to us whenever we understand that we're not the solution to all of the problems in the world. There's a clarity that Paul is having here towards the end of his life. That pit that he is in in Rome, I've seen it before. It's literally a hole in the ground with some little stairs that kind of go around and they throw food down to him. But Paul is writing these words, and God saw it fit for those words to make it into the canon of Scripture to us today that Paul had clarity at the end of his life. And Timothy is charged in the presence of God who is the judge of the living and the dead. You know, it's to be to call yourself a spiritual leader um, is kind of wishing yourself stricter judgment, right? The book of James tells us that. And if you are a Christian today, I would remind you that, men, you're a leader of your family. That is something that you are going to be accountable for. If you are a leader in the church, you have to be very careful about the way that you lead your people. Okay? That's something that I know Pastor Tim takes very seriously. We have to step up in order for the gospel to to be spread, and we have to step up for the kingdom of God, and we have to take seriously the words in the scripture. In verse number two, there's five exhortations in this charge that Paul gives to Timothy. The first is to preach the word, preach the logos, and I can't come across that word in the text without going back to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word is Jesus Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We preach Jesus on every page of the Bible because it's all pointing to him, to his death his burial, and his resurrection, and he is the only source of our hope today. It's not found in anything else but in who Jesus Christ is. Preaching the word of God should be central in the church because it prepares us to make an impact for the kingdom, and for us to be, uh, to come into contact with scripture at times can be difficult. Sometimes it's hard for us to see some truths in the scripture because if we're reading the Bible correctly, We're going to be able to see where we we fall short. We're going to be able to see our own shortcomings, and we're going to be called to repentance so that we can be reproved, as Paul will say in just a minute, or we will be refined to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful that we are in a church that values the centrality of Scripture in our preaching. If we were to get up on a Sunday morning and we were to make a lot of points and and tell you some stories that had some good application, but we didn't point you to Jesus Christ or open up the Scripture, we're wasting our time, okay? And I'm thankful to be a part of a church that values Scripture as the Word of God. Paul then tells Timothy that he should be prepared in season and out of season. And there's times in life where the opportunity's perfect. You're in the right place. You've got an outline that has three S's in it, and things line up, and you're in a church setting like this where people are expecting to hear the Word of God. But there's some times where you may not have an outline, you may not be in a place among friends, and it's difficult to preach the Word of God. The Apostle Paul did that. He was on trial in front of Festus, and he laid out a beautiful gospel presentation to people who wanted to see his head on a platter, but he was prepared out of season because of what God had written on his heart, because of his own uh, seeking after the Lord, because of the time that he spent in the Scripture. And when I read something like this of being ready in season and out of season, sometimes that brings up some more lighthearted memories. In the church that I grew up at in South Alabama, every now and then the pastor would call a deacon or somebody else in the church, and they'd say, hey, I need you to preach for me today. And that call would come, you know, Saturday night at like 11 o'clock or something like that. So they'd really have to have something in their back pocket, right? How many of you would be nervous if that happened to you, right? He called deacons too. I see Stan back there nodding, okay? Pastor Tim, don't call Stan. He'll, He'll come after you, okay? I'm joking. Stan's a great teacher. But we have to be ready in season and out of season. I can't tell you how many times I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, and I wanted to do everything but that because I was focused on other things, because I was worried about what I had going on. Okay, a couple years ago, we started this who's your one emphasis where we would pick somebody in our life that we know needs the gospel. Um, And my one lives uh, in my neighborhood and I was sitting in the driveway working on my car. Uh, It's funny how God gives you some inconveniences in life sometimes to use them for his glory if we'll look for it but guess what? That day I wasn't looking for it. I was frustrated. I was trying to get my car going and my neighbor kept coming by and just chatting every, you know, probably 30 minutes or so. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, would he leave me alone so I can get my car fixed? Okay. Some of you are laughing at that because you can relate to that. Okay. And guess what? I wish I could say, man, I shared the gospel with him and he got saved. Glory to God. I didn't share the gospel with him that day because I was too worried about, on my own time. I didn't have anywhere to be. I was probably worried about watching a ball game or something that night. But thank God I had an opportunity later to share the gospel with him. But we have to be mindful that every single day we're living on mission. We can't get distracted by things that don't matter. We have to be ready in season and out of season. We have to be ready to stand up and give a reason for why we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. We have to be ready to make a stand. So Christian, are you ready to stand up and share your faith? Are you ready to give reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus? Do you, are you prepared to give a reason as to why you have dedicated your life to following him? I hope that you are, because that's what it's all about, right? To go and make disciples of all nations, or more specifically, to love people to the point of life. We can't love people to the point of life if we don't ever look for people. We have to be mindful of what's going on around us. The next two commands in the text go hand in hand, to reprove and to rebuke. To reprove means to help somebody stay on the path. And I love this picture um, because, look, I'm just gonna pick on myself for a second. Um, Over the last few years, Uh, There have been seasons and and times where I've really wanted to get in shape and lose some weight, okay? Uh, And at times I have, okay? Uh, At one point I had a goal of running a half marathon, worked all the way up to that, was doing great, and then guess what? The world shut down because of a pandemic, and here we are, right? You may be like me on Monday morning. You're really dedicated, and by, you know, Friday, barbecue starts sounding really good, okay? And that's okay. But I was listening to a... Uh, podcast the other day while I was on a run slash walk, let's call it what it was, and it was a guy named John Acuff. You may know him. He's he's out of Nashville. He's got he's he's started as a comedian, but now he he talks about meeting goals and things like that. And he said one of the ways that he got his first book done is he started telling everybody about his goal, and not just the goals like, hey, I've got to get this chapter done this week, or I've got to do this or that, and just by him telling other people. What his goals were, people would ask him about it, right? Hey, John, you get that chapter done this week, and he would say, I've got to get this thing done because I can't show up in a lot of people and tell them that I've done it. Reproof. Somebody asks you, there's a bit of accountability that comes into play, right? We're gently corrected back into staying on the path of achieving whatever that goal is, right? But then the Apostle Paul gets into something that's a little bit stronger of a word. He says, to rebuke. It's not fun to rebuke somebody. That is a charge against somebody that usually requires some kind of repentance. And church discipline is not a fun thing. There's not a lot of churches that really do that. And to God be the glory, we try our best here at the Point Church to church discipline where it's necessary. But there's times where people don't want to hear a reprove or a rebuke because they're trying to justify through the scripture what's going on in their heart rather than submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now look, Pastor Tim's been in ministry for for longer than, than I have and I've heard him tell some stories about having to rebuke somebody and that hurts sometimes. And I would hope that as followers of Jesus, we would be disciplined enough in our own Christianity to where we would be able to receive the words of a loving shepherd who's trying to get us back on the path to reprove us for the glory of God, to maybe rebuke us so that we don't run off of a cliff spiritually in our life. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to call people out. But what if, what if we stopped being embarrassed of not being perfect and instead we focused on growth over time so that we could become more like Jesus, because I'm afraid that there is a standard that we hold one another to that is not fair because we are human beings. Sometimes we hold each other to the standard of Jesus Christ, and we don't ever allow for anybody to make a mistake or for anybody to have something in their heart that they may need to get right. Donald Guthrie says that Christian discipline in our modern age can be so generally lax that the moral status of many communities are greatly weakened. We can either hold each other to the point of fire from just the slightest mistake, which is not right. You need to read read the scriptures to where it says that we need to be long-suffering and patient with one another, and we need to love one another because the most loving people in my life have said harsh things to me, but it's been done in the right way so that I could grow, right? The people who love me don't cut me off. They call me up. They call me to step up. And here is a picture of why that is so important. We need to reprove and we need to rebuke one another in the right way. I read this book once a year called Celebration of Discipline by a man named Richard Foster. He came out of the Puritan tradition, and he gives some different areas of spiritual growth. There's Internal disciplines like prayer and fasting and meditation, there are some outward uh, type of disciplines that are solitude, submission, serving one another. And there are corporate disciplines of confession, worship and celebration. That's what we do whenever we come together as a church. We bear one another's burdens, we celebrate with one another. But here's the slippery slope with spiritual disciplines. Foster gives a warning probably 15 to 20 times throughout the book that you can set a goal that is attainable, that you can touch, that you can see, that you can measure, and you can miss out on the person of Jesus Christ. You may learn how to fast and go without food for a day or two every now and then and miss the purpose of why you're fasting because that's how messed up we all really are because pride sneaks in so, so, so quickly, even when we're doing things for the Lord. May we seek after God in a disciplined way, but may we keep our eyes fixed on the prize, which is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That similar command to rebuke is a stronger word. It is a judgment. And I would hope that we as followers of Jesus would love one another enough to say some of those difficult things. But then we are called to encourage We're called to encourage one another, to exhort one another. And the word that's used there is the same word that is used in the root of of the word Holy Spirit. The word is paracleo, paracleo. Last week, Pastor Tim preached a sermon about the struggle that we have with Scripture the struggle that we have with one another, the struggle that we have against the world, and we need encouragement within the church. We need to step up and I'm not saying that we do the whole role of the Holy Spirit, but we can look to the Holy Spirit as an example as to how we are to treat one another. Over the last few weeks uh, and during the nine o'clock hour with our students, we've been working through a series called Jesus and Tough Times, and we've been talking about how when life is difficult, when God seems far from us, We can lean into the Holy Spirit because he is our encourager. He is the one who reminds us of the goodness of God and how he has brought us through uh, the struggles that we have had in our life. He is the one who brings us back, who reproves and rebukes and exhorts and encourages us to come back into the fold of the good shepherd. We need to encourage one another. We need to be reminded of the goodness of God. We need to remind each other of the goodness of God and how he never leaves us. Those five items are what we are called to do, but we are called to exercise them with complete patience and teaching. Now, here's where if we're taking the scripture seriously, and we should, that should annoy us just a little bit because having complete patience is difficult. I have a two-year-old little girl at my house. Having patience all the time is difficult. I work with teenagers. Sometimes having patience is difficult. I love you guys. I do. That got their attention. Now they're they're back in on the sermon, okay? But we should be long-suffering and caring with one another to the point that we are patient and we love one another, and, and that way we will be able to help reprove and rebuke one another. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I speak the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Those are some really strong things that we could do in the name of Jesus. But Paul says, if we don't have love in our heart, all of that's worthless. All of it's worthless. So we have to be very careful in the way that we address one another whenever we are dealing with some of these difficult issues. Sometimes one of the most challenging things that we can do is to love one another, and that's why Jesus tells us so many times to love one another. And in your mind, you may be even going to a place where you're worried about loving people who think the total opposite of you. But I really think that in this context, he's talking about dealing with the people in the church. He's talking to Timothy, a young leader in the church who's dealing with people who are mixing their Christianity in with other religions that are around. They are leaving the church and going after false gods. They're letting things sneak into the church. And Paul is telling Timothy to be patient with them. That is difficult and that is challenging. We should not be so quick to turn against a Samaritan. You know, the people the Jews hated, they viewed them as half-breeds who worshiped in a different way. We should not be so quick to turn away a Samaritan who's given their life to Jesus in order to appease a Pharisee. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the command of God in order to establish your tradition. I don't know about you, but that's a woe statement from Jesus there. Donald Guthrie says, Christian reproof without grace of long-sufferance has often led to a harsh, censorious attitude, intensely harmful to the cause of Christ, but the other requirement is equally essential for correction must be diligently understood and hence based on careful instruction. To rebuke without instruction is to leave the root cause of error untouched. I love that because he's saying that we have to extend grace towards one another because guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been extended grace. The Lord is long-suffering with me, and I know that he is long-suffering with you as well, and we should be long-suffering with one another. And may we never lose the awe of the gospel. May we never lose the awe of the gospel. I want you to think back to a moment where you may have heard the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time, or there was something that just clicked in your soul where you knew that Jesus died for you and for your sins, and that just puts you in awe because here's the deal. None of us are worthy to be forgiven. None of us are. None of us are worthy for God to even send Jesus, but he did because he loves us so much. And whenever we really understand that God extends in his great mercy, extends salvation to us, that should put us in awe of who he is. And when we're in a state of being in awe of who God is, we're less likely to point fingers at each other and get sideways about eschatology or some kind of Greek tense of some word or what have you. We're focused on Jesus Christ, and we're focused on his saving grace. There's a hymn that we used to sing. We we still sing it here from time to time. It says that I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean and when we take seriously the idea that God would save us, man, the Bible opens up into something that's incredible, that's much more than an argument to be won at a Thanksgiving table or as a talking piece at lunch. Instead, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's not to say that we shouldn't get into the the deeper waters of Scripture, but we need to do it in a way where we are focused on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. The next thing that Paul is telling Timothy in verses 3 through 5 is to stand out. He's been called to step up, to take seriously the ministry that has been entrusted to him in the church of Ephesus, but then Paul says, you need to stand out for the sake of the gospel. And here it is, verses 3 through 5. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but, have, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And it will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill Your ministry. Timothy was ministering in a time where people were confused morally and they were confused doctrinally. Not much has changed. We're living in a culture where people are confused morally and they're confused doctrinally. And here's how not new that is. When Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God, he came down and what happened? Aaron said, I don't know how that calf got there, it just came out of the fire. They were confused. We can be confused so quickly by taking our eyes off of the cross of Jesus because we start focusing on ourselves or our own knowledge or maybe something that we have learned. And I was talking to a family member this week. uh, Somebody very close to them uh, has uh, left um, a more what we would call mainstream denomination and have have started exposing themselves to the Seventh-day Adventist and he was asking me what I thought about it, and I didn't know a whole lot about what they believed, so I started doing some research on it, and I was reading, and there's some good things in there. There's some good things in there, and the problem with that is when we are presented with a lie, the best lies have good things in it, but what they've done is they've taken Scripture and they've added some other things into it that they even hold above the Scripture, and that leads the people astray. There's so many lies that the enemy has for us that it all has to do with the scripture. You can see it all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Did God really say that was the first one? But there's this innate desire in us to have some kind of insider knowledge about things that are going on. Um, if you are a fan of a sports team, there I promise you there's some kind of forum that you can get on and you can read about the ins and outs of recruiting and injuries and game plans and things that are going on. Um, If you uh, pull for my basketball team, you would not do that because they're horrible this year. I was talking to a couple of our students who just got back from Disney World. There's a fan club for that. If you want to go pay a certain fee, you can learn about new attractions and this, that, and the other things that are going on. You've got insider information. But here's the deal. All those things are fine and good until we start talking about words from Almighty God because there are people and denominations and leaders who are taking what they call special revelation that God has given them that goes against what God has recorded for us in the scriptures, and we need to stay away from that. But there's some kind of desire that is in us to do more things or dream bigger, and then we start having Jesus plus some kind of cause, or Jesus plus some kind of idea, or Jesus plus a movement, or whatever the case may be. And whenever we do that, we're belittling the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us because we're saying that that's not enough. And can I be the first one to say that the cross is more than enough for us? We didn't deserve it anyway. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is what gives us life and is what gives us hope. We need Jesus and we need the scriptures to remind us that we need Jesus. If you can read the scripture without being convicted, the reality is you need to check very closely to see that you're seeking after Jesus and not Jesus and something else. Because usually when we add Jesus and something else, it gives us a license to get away with sin whenever we need to repent and confess of that. Rather than looking out for our own desires of life, We need to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who was known as the suffering servant, who came to the world and had nowhere to lay his head, who was rejected, and all but one of his disciples left him when he was on the cross. Yet somehow we have this mentality that if something very small goes wrong in our life, that it's not the will of God. And we need to get over that, y'all. There's a video going around this week online and the gist of it is we have all of these expectations about Christians in the Middle East for them to give up their lives and sacrifice their families and give up their jobs all for the name of Jesus Christ. But if we go through the smallest inconvenience, we have some kind of justification that Satan's out to get us. Was it not the will of God for Stephen to be stoned? Was it not the will of God for... Paul to be killed? Was it not the will of God for John the Baptist to be beheaded? Was it not the will of God for Christians to go through suffering throughout the centuries? God is in control. Why don't we believe that instead of getting so messed up and aggravated that little things in life go wrong? Why are we so unprepared for suffering whenever the entire New Testament is telling us to be ready to suffer, to claim the name of Jesus Christ, to be crucified with Christ? It is not us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Why on earth would we think that life is going to be all great and wonderful and everything's going to work out on our timeline? If that's you today, I would challenge you that you're living for yourself And you need to understand that God is in control. Instead of Paul saying, we need to have this woe is me thinking, we need to make the most of every day. Because the one thing that we can't get more of is time. And once it's gone, it's gone. God knows our days. They're numbered. He knows how much time we have, but we don't. We don't. And we need to stop putting off things that we say that we're going to do for the name of Jesus Christ. We need to go and evangelize. How do we do that? I don't care what kind of evangelism tool that you use, whether it's the three circles or the Roman's road, you need to do the one that works, the one that will come out of your mouth. I've seen too many well-meaning people sit around and pick apart evangelism ideas or even parts of the Bible, and they've never led somebody to Jesus. And can I just tell you that that's wrong? We need to get out and share the love of Christ with people so that we can fulfill our ministry and carry it out to do everything that God has commanded us to do. We have to fulfill our diakonauts service to God. And that just so happens that the man that wrote this letter that we're reading from is the perfect example of that. So the last thing that I want you to see here is that Paul tells Timothy to stay faithful. He tells him to step up, He takes seriously the call that God has on his life to stand out and go against some of the cultural norms that are around him. And he tells him, through all of that, you need to stay faithful. There are challenges that we have in life that may challenge us to give up or may lure us one way or another. But Paul says, stay faithful. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come i have fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only me but also to all who have loved his appearing paul is saying that i have lived well there is something beautiful about going to a funeral of somebody who lived and served the Lord all of their days. There's just something different about that. It's a celebration of life. And everybody who claims the name of Jesus wants to get there, but not everybody will. We have to be very careful that we are living for the Lord. I've seen so many people fall away from the faith, from places of ministry, from doctrinal stances that they've had from the scripture and they've gone after other things. And that breaks my heart to see that happen. And I can tell you story after story after story of personal mentors that I've had that have stepped away from the faith because they were not what Paul said in verse five, they were not being sober minded. They were not being sober minded. They weren't thinking clearly about what was going on in life. I think what it means to be sober-minded is really to be present. In the relationships that we value the most, don't we want to be present? Right? Parents, if you've been away from your child for a while and you finally get to spend some time with them, you're not going to be on the phone taking work calls. You're going to put that aside because of what matters. Right? So just like we value those relationships, why would we not value the relationship that we have with the creator of heaven and earth? We have to be present and sober-minded. And the thing about relationships is those relationships don't stop when we move into a different room or we leave the church house. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus all the time. And we have to understand that God is ready to hear our prayers at any moment. And we should take advantage of that because he loves us and because he cares for us. But here Paul says in verse number six, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The drink offering was was an offering of consecration. It was the only offering that a portion of it was not kept for the priest. It was totally poured out onto the ground as an offering to God. And what a beautiful picture of a life lived for the gospel, where he's saying, I've poured it all out. I've left it all on the field. I've given you everything that I've got. And be careful if you say you want that to be your testimony, because that means you've got to leave it all out there but wouldn't that be our desire to do everything that we can for the sake of Jesus Christ and the few years that we have on the earth? Paul is having a celebration of life, a life that is well lived. And in the next verse, we see some very important words that are familiar to us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There's something so beautiful about that. And there are things about people who make it to this point. There's some that are, that are very celebrated, but there are others that you'd never know their names. And I thank God for people like Kitty Camp, who served as the secretary of the Friendship Baptist Church in Grand Bay, who my mother will tell you probably prayed me through seminary, okay? Miss Camp would, would come in, put her arm around me. She'd pray for me. Miss Viney Brewer who would pray for me when I'd come home from college, who would just check up on me, from Stan Strickler who would sit with his Bible open with third grade boys and he'd read out of the King James Version and we wouldn't understand anything that he said because we couldn't understand the old English. But I knew one thing, that man loved Jesus and he loved me. There are so many giants of the faith that have been faithful and we can look to their example. It may not be everything that the world says is is success, But guess what? Neither was Jesus. And I'm looking to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Stay faithful. We're called to step up for the gospel. We're called to stand out, to live in a radical way that Jesus called us to live so that we'd stay faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else. Because Paul has his eye on the prize. And the beauty of this is at the end of verse number eight, it says, the award to me on that day, not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. So church, do you love his appearing? Do you love Jesus? Are you understanding the call that you have on your life to go and share the good news? Would you stand with me? I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I wanna work through Just a a few questions that I I feel the text is calling us to, to consider in this moment. The first would be, if you are not sure of your salvation, there may be a moment where you've heard the scriptures and you've said, I need what that is, or I need to be a follower of Jesus. Again, if you just bow your heads, and if that's you, I'd ask you to just slip your hand up so I can see who you are. I'd love to pray for you. love to talk to you after the worship service today. You can come see myself or Pastor Tim. We'll be standing to the side of the stage today. The Christians, we're called to step up, to step up and care for one another, to step up and take seriously the words of Jesus to Love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to stand out and to live with a radical love and forgiveness that we have through the example of Jesus Christ. So for you today, very practically, that could be forgiving somebody of something. Or it could be preparing your heart to say something difficult to somebody else of reproof or reprove. Christian, are you staying faithful? Are you staying faithful? Have the challenges of life just come into your area and you're getting distracted? The Apostle Paul would tell us to repent while we can and not go down that path. Let's pray together. Lord.